a celebrant of atheism and humanism, the indomitable Susan Jacoby. When I say I don't believe in God, I don't mean that that is written on my pillow and that's the first thing I say when I look in the mirror in the morning. I mean that you can't prove a negative like that. I never go around and do debates with people about the existence of God because it's stupid. You can't prove that there is no God. I just say that for all of the evidence I've seen, my conclusion is is that God does not exist. This is Beliefs. I'm Bill Baker. A full-throated defense of atheism. Susan Jacoby is an independent scholar specializing in the history of reason, atheism, secularism, and religious liberty. Her best-known books include Free Thinkers, A History of American Secularism, and the New York Times bestseller The Age of American Unreason in a Culture of Lies. Susan Jacoby and I met in New York. Susan, thank you very much for being with us. I'm very happy to be here. Susan, you wrote an op-ed in the New York Times. It was titled, Politics is Not Religion. That was a pretty interesting approach to things. Will you tell us what that's all about and what your thinking is on that subject? Sure. Well, they, the, uh, the headline I, I would have written over it was, Stop Calling Politics a New Religion. Uh, basically, what I've been noticing over the last year while I've been working mainly writing a book on women and religion called Up From Sanctity, by the way. It's not going to be finished for quite a while. But I've been seeing all of these pieces about how our politics are so polarized that politics have become a substitute for what religion used to be. And what all of these articles do is they blame secularism. They say a lot of the reasons people take what they call extremist positions, whether on the progressive left side or or on the right, they think also a lot of the Trumpsters are are uh, are substituting are making politics a new religion, which is pretty funny since right wing white evangelical Christians are Trump's staunchest supporters and, and, and the absolute base. And, and I don't think that this is true at all. Uh, first of all, the idea that, uh, that, that politics is a substitute for religion, say for progressives, is ridiculous. You can be, for, for example, there, there are plenty of people of liberal religion, and if they go to, say, a coffee clutch for Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris, they may, they're not going to it to find an activity to substitute for religion. They're going because they're trying to sort out all of those presidential candidates. And likewise, Trump's evangelical, white evangelical Christian base, not black evangelical Christians, they do not support Trump. Uh, Trump's white evangelical Christian base just shows that you can be religious and an idol worshiper at the same time which is what which is what they are those people i'm speaking the night after trump had a big rally in north carolina uh, in which about about all of the all of the uh, women he wants to go back where they came from because they uh, they don't they don't like trump's policies and you know there were all of those people many of whom i'm sure were religious yelling go back where you came from go back where you came from and i thought it's interesting how you can combine religion with politics in that way so i don't think religion is uh, 
a substitute for politics or a substitute for religion at all. People can be both or neither, but secularism certainly isn't the cause. And also, one point I'd like to make, because most of my books are about history, is that there is no evidence in American history that our politics were more civil or more decent when people were more religious. And as an example in this column in the Times, I use the best example there is of of mean politics, which is the 20 years before and after the Civil War. Now, certainly America was a more religious nation in the 1840s and the 1880s than it is today. And we never had anything worse than the politics that led up to the Civil War, fugitive slave law, the Dred Scott decision, and the politics that came after the Civil War when Reconstruction was basically scotched, the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, the rise of the Jim Crow as a replacement for slavery. So I, not to mention the fact that religion was always divided over slavery. A lot of the religious people thought that slavery was ordained by God, and not only in the South, by the way. And a lot of people thought it was immoral. And the idea that, that, that religion makes for decent politics is not supported by history. We talk about religion and what's going on in America today and what you're writing about, which in, in some ways is, the, is public ignorance uh, about what's happening in our uh, broader society. Um, you mentioned that right now the nons, the non-religious, non-religious people in the United States are about 23%. That's one of the biggest numbers ever. No, that's not in the United States. That's that's millennials, oh, okay. people who are people who are basically under 35. The uh, proportion of people who have no religious affiliation goes up as age goes down. So, why is that? And what does all of that mean as far as you're concerned as a historian and a student of this subject? Well, in a way, I don't know yet. Uh, first of all, first of all, we don't know. People do tend to become more religious, more religiously affiliated as they get older. But on the other hand, older people were brought up more religiously than younger people too. Really, I think ignorance is, and I hate to go back to Trump's rally again, but one of the things that got the biggest boo was when Trump said that. Ilan Omar had said that there was a good deal of ignorance in America. Well, I don't agree with a lot of the things that she said, but that is right. These people just booed so you could just you could just see the stupidity. And and one of the, and one of the things, by the way, that I, as someone who does write about ignorance, and uh, and I'm an atheist, but a lot of a lot of my best friends are liberal religious people. Let's put it that way, and unquestioning acceptance of certain kinds of religious tenets is itself a form of stupidity. The best religious people always throughout history have been people who have doubts about a lot of things and have written about them extensively. So ignorance is just uh, is just accepting, accepting things. This is the way it is because it's in the Bible and the Bible is to be taken literally, which a lot of a lot of a lot of Christians in the ancient world didn't believe, and so on. But about the young, whether I think that they are unlikely to become 
more religious as they get older in the same way as previous generations did. And I hate to say this because of ignorance, because a lot of a lot of people are religiously ignorant, too. There is one thing to be said for having been taught about religion when you're young, as I was. I was brought up a Catholic, although my father turned out to be a Jew, but that's another story. (laughs) Uh, I would say that that going to Catholic school and, 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 and not buying what I was told, and as a result, reading a lot about religion when I was very young, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, a young teenager, I would say that uh, in a way I became an atheist because of that, but I also could have become religious as some of my contemporaries did. But religion is something you have to know something about to make decisions about it. And I think a lot of the younger people there, there are younger people, for instance, who don't identify with a church, but who say they believe in some kind of God. I call this the spiritual but not religious crowd. Uh, I think what they think of is religion always has to be rigid and and uh, unflinching, and also that religion is against some of the social values they have, uh, you know, such as, for example, we know young people have very different attitudes about gay rights and gay marriage than older people do. And, but, of course, many religions have different attitudes about that, too, now, as we know. There are only some religions that are anti-gay. So I think it is difficult. It is difficult for them to become more religious when they don't know very much about religion. And and I think, in fact, this is a problem for atheists today in our society like me, who are also historians and who believe in the value of knowledge. It's hard to get a religious education except through religious institutions. I don't have children, but if I did, it would be a problem for me, and it is for many atheists I know, by the way, who want their children to know more about religion but don't know how to do it without being affiliated with a religious institution. In other words, how do you teach a child about Judaism without sending them to Hebrew school? You mentioned that there were a number of people who were very famous religious figures who were also questioners. Want to mention some of those historical figures? Oh, well, it's hard to, let's say, okay, let's, let's, let's just start with let's start with the 17th century in which you really get the early enlightenment look people in the late reformation i don't want to talk about the early reformation because john calvin was just as bad as far as i'm concerned uh as 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 any of the most conservative popes in history but you have you have quakers of all kinds and and their religion was based on questioning what does God mean? Uh, they developed, in a way, a religious organization with much less hierarchy than previous Protestant, even religious organizations had had. Protestant, or you know, the Lutherans and the Calvinists had as big a hierarchy as the Catholic Church, although they wouldn't admit it. So you have the Quakers, and then you begin to have you begin to have people who were religious, like Sir Isaac Newton. But also, being Sir Isaac Newton, he also questioned a lot of a lot of things as well. It could couldn't help it. being a being a scientist and religious is a very difficult 
thing today, too, and there are some. Scientists are less religious than any other professional group of people, but there are scientists who are religious. Uh, the head of the National Institutes of Health, Mr. Dr. Powell, is a religious man. Uh, uh, there, are, I mean, I could name you all kinds of all kinds of other people. I think that uh, I think that probably when you think about in the Catholic Church, the Second Vatican Council of the 1960s. I mean, nobody except you have to be about 70 to remember Pope John the 23rd. But he also he didn't believe in the interpretation of the Catholic religion that some of his immediate predecessors, like, like Pope Pius XII uh, and certainly Pope Pius IX, he didn't believe in that. He called the Vatican Council to revise Catholic doctrine for a new generation. He wasn't an atheist, obviously. But, but, but the best religious people are, 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 are always uh, questioners. I'll give you a great example. Margaret Fell, who's English, who was one of the founders of Quakerism. Americans know about William Penn, but they don't know about Margaret Fell, but she was just as important in Quakerism in England. Margaret Fell uh, uh, left, the, uh, left actually the English Puritan church uh, to, to become to become one of the founders of Quakerism. And a lot of people don't know it. Quakerism didn't people associate Quakerism with plain clothing and gray and, and all of all of that, you know, the clothing of the movie The Friendly Persuasion, things like that. Uh, Margaret Fell and, and in in at the turn of the seventeenth century wrote a letter to all Quakers saying she was saying the 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 compulsion and the requirement that people wear gray was as bad as being a slave to fashion she said why should you reject why should a religion reject the colors in nature what's religious about that that's a good example of the kind of religion i'm talking about this is a, a podcast from from religion news service called beliefs you're an atheist uh, and that's a form of belief as well. And, of course, we cover the whole range of uh, religion, including atheism, which perhaps is a religion in itself in a way. Okay. I'm really glad you mentioned that because let me argue with you. Okay, atheism is not a religion. A, a religion involves a set of beliefs that are agreed upon by a set of people. Uh, they may be – there are different – there are different aspects. Uh, there are different kinds of believers in each religion. There are Catholics who still believe in the Catholicism of, of Augustine of Hippo, and there are Catholics who uh, who believe what I close to what I believe about social things and so on. But atheism is not a whole set of beliefs that people that that various groups of people agree on. There is no Pope Richard Dawkins. There was no Pope Christopher Hitchens. There are no atheist ministers, much as, in fact, some right-wing religious people who write about atheism write about it as if it is a religion. But a religion has to have several things. It has to have a set of agreed-upon beliefs. Let, let me give you a good example. Uh, Atheism includes people who are both right-wing and left-wing in their thinking. Think about Ayn Rand. 
uh, who is liked very much by the right-wing religious people who support the current administration. Ayn Rand's belief is every man for himself. Uh, there is no such thing as social justice, and people who want to work for it are disgusting. Uh, the only thing I have in common with Ayn Rand is that we don't believe in God. And that is not a belief. When I say I don't believe in God, I don't mean that that is written on my pillow and that's the first thing I say when I look in the mirror in the morning. I mean that you can't prove a negative like that. I never go around and do debates with people about the existence of God because it's stupid. You can't prove that there is no God. I just say that for all of the evidence I've seen, my conclusion is is that God does not exist. But uh, I don't know. I suppose uh, if, the, if the living Jesus uh, were to show up and he had something to prove, you know, that he'd really died on the cross and so on, you know, I'd, I'd invite him in for spaghetti carbonara. But short of that, uh, atheism isn't a religion in the sense that uh, I don't say I know there is no God. I say I don't believe there's a God. It doesn't have anything to do with my social views or politics or anything, except, except of course, separation of church and state. I don't. All atheists believe in separation of church and state. That, but that's that's a, that's a political belief as well as a as well as a, a lot of religious people who believe in separation of church and state too. Uh, actually, your uh, the statement you made sounds reminiscent of uh, the biblical figure of Saint Thomas, who <laughs> said pretty much the same thing. Ah well, I, first of all, first of all, I always had the greatest, greatest empathy for doubting Thomas. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, uh, there, there are a lot of the a lot of the Gnostic Gospels that Thomas plays a big role in him. We don't really know any more about him than we do about any of the apostles. But, uh, but you know, what he says is, you know, if if I stick my hands in the wounds and so on, I'll believe he's risen. Well, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> now, a question for you that uh, I've observed over my life. I've known a number of, uh, of atheists and humanists, and I want to talk about the difference if there is one, and I think you are both. Uh, if I were an atheist, I would think I'd just kind of go for it. There's no God. There's no afterlife. I should just maximize the moment and, you know, uh, step on my fellow man or woman and uh, do whatever satisfies and pleases me. Well, I know a number of people who are atheists and humanists that were exactly the opposite or some of the kindest, most generous people I've ever met. Well, why not? First of all, I don't make any case for atheists being better than other people. But when you think about it, the idea that you have to be looking forward to an afterlife and be afraid of hell to care about your fellow human beings, that's really a disgusting idea. And and it isn't true. If it if it if it were true, all religious people would be good. And they're not. Uh, even the prospect of hell isn't isn't enough. You know, I I, I was laughing at this at this uh, at this Epstein case, uh, in which he said he had an extra fake passport because he'd be visiting 
visiting the Middle East and his Jewish faith prevented him, you know, might might place him in trouble. Well, uh, I, I think a man who has done the things that he has done, uh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like it if I were a rabbi hearing him claim his Jewish faith as some sort of a thing. Religious people aren't all good uh, or bad. Atheists aren't all good or bad. As far as I'm concerned, there are just people who take heed of their fellow human beings and people who don't. Look, uh, we we are we are looking uh, we are looking at a terrible situation right now a terrible human situation on the on the Texas Mexican border the California Mexican border we are looking at human beings being treated like cattle we are looking we are looking at uh, and and by the way people who criticize anyone for calling these concentration camps are wrong and don't know about the history of the term concentration camp, which doesn't mean extermination camp, which is what the Nazis were. Concentration camps are a way of singling people out for less than treatment, less than treatment that you and I would uh, would accept as our due as American citizens and as human beings. That's what they were in South Africa during the Boer War. That's what they have always been. That's what they were before they became extermination camps in Nazi Germany. And anybody who can go to sleep at night not thinking about that, not thinking about what's going on in the name of America on the American border right now. Well, secularists in general are less anti-immigrant than religious people. And I don't know, I don't know why. The polls, the polls suggest that. But, but in general... You've got to you've got to look at the people on the border and know that I mean among among the organizations that have done the most to try to ameliorate conditions are religious organizations, uh, and and they they have tried uh, uh, some of the care that's big care that's being provided by by secular organizations have made contributions, but religious organizations, some of them. Uh, particularly for Latinos, the Catholic Church have an infrastructure for doing it. They have some shelters and things, and they've done everything. So I think attributing ethical qualities on the basis of religion or non-religion, I wouldn't do. Can we talk about humanism? You are also a humanist. What does that mean, and what what is the difference? I don't think that I don't think that there's a lot of difference. I think, frankly, in America, where the word atheist is still much more of a no-no than in Europe, I think a lot of people call themselves humanists because they're afraid to call themselves atheists. They think there's a bigger pejorative attached to atheists than humanists. I think some humanists are atheists, and some humanists are not. Some atheists are humanists, and some, like Ayn Rand, are not. Uh, but uh, I think that humanists don't, if someone who is only a humanist doesn't think the question of whether there's a God or not is very important, or whether, or whether they make decisions based on that. You know, I'll give you an example. What do they make decisions based on? I, I assume humanists make decisions based on uh, the same thing as, as as everybody does. What you think, what you think is a decent person, uh, what what you owe yourself, what you owe your fellow men and women. Uh, I don't think that there that there really 
is is that much difference between? I mean, I think there are lots of religious people who are humanists too. They they don't they don't use the term, but I honestly think in America that the term humanist is often a term for people who don't want to get mixed up with controversies over over the word atheism. I, I'll tell you perhaps one of the differences between an atheist and a humanist, but again, I hate to make generalizations because it's not as though every humanist is alike any more than every atheist or every religious person is alike. Uh, if I had children, which I don't, uh, I would find it very difficult uh, to discuss God with them in the sense that I knew if they had all of my honest thoughts about it, they would get it, if they didn't live in New York or San Francisco or someplace like like that, they would get a lot of blowback at school. And I was made aware of this. I wrote a column long ago for the Times about the reluctance of people to admit themselves that they were atheists. And I received an email on my author website, uh, which is susanjacoby.com, uh, and I answer all my emails. I mean, if they're not nasty. <laughs> but I received a letter from a woman in Fort Worth, Texas, and she said she and her husband were members of the Unitarian Church there, which was the closest they could get to their real beliefs. She said they were atheists. But she hadn't told her children yet because she was worried about her children being bullied and shamed at school if they went to school and, you know, you know, said, my parents are atheists, they don't believe in God. And she said, you need to think before uh, in those statements about that not everybody lives in an environment that's tolerant. Some live in an environment that punishes people for those beliefs. And while you don't mind for yourself, you would mind for your children. And I thought she has a, a real point and something that not everybody, you know, that I hadn't thought enough about. But I think I think it, it is it is a problem in America. In America, we also deal with the issue of perhaps more and more secularism. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Is that really the case, uh, or is it more polarization? I actually don't think there's any more re religious polarization than there's been at some other points in our history. Certainly there, there's no more religious polarization than there was during the Civil War, uh, it does run in cycles. Look, I never would have thought the, the issue of abortion, whatever people say, of whether women have the right to choose abortion, is strictly a religious issue. Uh, you didn't hear about it for quite a while. But now with, uh, I think, certainly the reason that white evangelicals are among Trump's strongest supporters is because they thought he would appoint judges who are going to, you know, eventually overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, and so I think in that respect, in, in the relationship of certain kinds of religion to certain kinds of social issues, right now we are obviously in a period of polarization. You can't look at our politics and, and not realize that. You're a person who is a historian and has taken the long view on the subject of religion and uh, social issues, etc. 
it's pretty hard often for historians to predict the future, but do you have do you have any predictions? Do you have any thoughts about the future looking at as you have done the the past? Uh I I have a couple of thoughts about the future that the ignorance I've been writing about and and it's not just in America for mm, 30 years or so uh 20 years maybe uh is going to remain a problem in both our national and our international Life. I won't even say politics. I'll say life for a considerable amount of time. Because, as we all know, uh, what's going on in terms of, and, and by the way, stop calling it populism, too. There is right-wing populism and there is left-wing populism. Trump, the current government of Hungary, the elements in, in Poland who have murdered, murdered people fighting for a more democratic Poland and a less right-wing religious Poland, these people are all the same. And a lot of it is, a lot of it is fear of developed countries, of being invaded by immigrants from the South. Uh, a lot of it is indifference to what happens to them. If they just stay home or go, the idea that if they just stay home or go back where they came from, we could live our nice lives and it wouldn't be a problem. That's, you know, basically what anti-immigrant sentiment is, is it's about not wanting to share the wealth. I mean, the fact is, that's what it's, that's what it's really about. You know, except in cases like there, 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 there are countries where, where, for example, if you have some immigrants who are, let's say, extremist Muslims, and you have people who are some very far right Christians who are the descendants of the Arrow Cross, by the way, in Hungary, uh, there is also a a a hatred that's religiously based as well. But that's always been true. That's always been true, and I. I can't predict, and I think anybody who says they can, whether this kind of right-wing populism that derives its strength from fear and hatred of the other and from the fear that we might have to share what we have with those people who are poor, I can't predict whether that's going to win or not. I just laugh when I see some of the, the punditocracy uh, pretending that they can. Nobody knows right now whether Donald Trump is going to be reelected. No one knows whether the right-wing forces in Hungary are going to triumph permanently or the Brexit forces in England, which are part of the same thing, uh, dislike of the number of immigrants that there are in England. Uh, I don't know. And I think anybody who says they do or can make a prediction based on the evidence we've got right now doesn't know. Right now, I think we're in a bad place, in a turning, in a turning place. I, I also think that many parts of Europe, as well as America right now, this I think you can say, and, and I'm someone I, who doesn't like analogies with Nazi Germany, but I know something about Nazi Germany, all right? And I've lived in the Soviet Union, too, when it was the Soviet Union. I think we are in America right now. I haven't been in Hungary or Poland in the last couple of years. But I think in America right now, we are in the position 
that Germany was in 1932, 1933, 1934, before the horrors, uh, before the Nuremberg Laws, before they started deporting people, before Jews stopped being able to leave if they made an effort to. We're in a period in which some people are trying to normalize things that we would have found unthinkable. That's what happened in early Nazi Germany. It wasn't that all the Germans who voted for Hitler in 1932 were exterminationist people who wanted to exterminate the Jews. That isn't what Hitler ran on, although if they'd actually read Mein Kampf, they would have known that the thought was there, and probably most of them hadn't. I'm sure most of them hadn't. there, there was economic fear. There was a bad economic situation. Uh, Hitler ran on that. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put things right. And I can easily see, you know, when I think of, I wonder sometimes, sometimes I can't go to sleep at night, think about how have we, how have we come to, in a way, think that it's thinkable to be separating children from their parents at the border in a way that they might not even find, be able to find their parents again. How does that happen? That is the kind of thing that happened when first Jews started being removed from university faculties as soon as Hitler was elected, actually. Well, I can see the good Germans who voted for Hitler, not because, not because they were out to you know, put Jews in extermination camps or even thought about it, I can see them talking, well, you know, Isaac's been, Isaac's been sent to Dachau. Let's say he was a member of the Communist Party in Germany in the 1920s. Isaac's been sent to Dachau. Yes, he's been our friend for years. But after all, he was a communist. I'm sure it'll work itself out. What happened at that point in Nazi Germany was not that people imagined the future of what happened. See, we're looking at it retrospectively. It's that things became normal that previously hadn't been normal. And that's 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 the fear point I think we are. And I don't know. The question is, are we going to go back to some of these things being unthinkable? Or are we going to go forward into more things that weren't thinkable becoming thinkable? A last question for an atheist. Uh, people of faith, even in the most difficult of times, usually can say there's hope because they have a belief in God. You don't have that belief in God. Um, do you, though, feel that there's hope uh, ahead in this in this world? I must. <laughs> I must. You can't. You, I'm a living human being living with other human beings. Uh, yes, I, th- I think there's hope, but some things have to happen. We have to get out of this cycle. If, if this cycle intensifies, rather than, rather than we see, too often it's quoted, but there's, it's because there's no better. If the better angels of our nature reassert themselves, and they do, one thing we know that the, that that means that there can there is hope for an atheist. Uh, my hope is not for another world. 
I, the only kind of hope I'm interested in is hope in this world. And, and if there is hope in this world, there's more likely to be hope in the other world for people who believe in it too, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be looking forward to heaven very much if things keep getting worse in the respect to the way we treat our fellow human beings. But if you look back at history, now I am not, unlike my friend Steve Pinker, I'm not a believer in progress. I don't think progress is inevitable. That's the whole point. It's why I have hope. But I don't, for example, I don't think that progress is inevitable. So the hope I have, ha, probably probably the hope I have, despite the fact that I don't think progress is inevitable, is a matter of faith. But if there is hope, it's only to be found in what we do. It's not to be found in anything God can do. Because one thing history does tell us is, is if we think that hope comes from God, well, he's let us down a lot. Better blame ourselves, you know, as well as credit ourselves rather than God. If I, I will tell you that if I believed in God, I would feel hopeless. Because that's why I became an atheist when I was a teenager, because I could never reconcile the idea of an all-powerful, all-good, all-loving God with what went on. And there's nothing original about that. That's, that, that probably played a role in, in every atheist thinking. I don't, I don't not believe in God because, uh, because uh, uh, the origins of the universe are... And there has to be a God. Uh, uh, there's no evidence that God created the universe or, or, or the way some religious people would say the universe can't have been created by accident. There has to be a God. But uh, I would find it, for example, uh, years ago, I, I had a, I had, my father had a friend whose husband had Alzheimer's disease, and that's something I also went through with a partner. And... Uh, and my father's friend said at the time, I don't know how I could get through this without my faith. And I just thought, I don't know how you get through it with your faith. If I thought there was a God who was personally responsible for Alzheimer's disease, I couldn't be alive. So I think, I think part of my hope is that, is that I'm an atheist. You know, my hope is that someone will find a way to at least treat Alzheimer's disease so people won't have to lose their minds before they die. Susan Jacoby, you've given us a lot to think about and uh, a lot of interviews in the future of people to talk about some of these subjects, people of faith. Thank you very much for being with us and sharing us very intelligently your thinking. Well, thank you, and I'm just happy to be on a podcast by Religion News Service, which is one of my big sources. (laughs) Our guest was best-selling author, scholar, and program director of the New York branch of the Center for Inquiry. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us on iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support from the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker. Tell a friend and thank you for listening.